welcome to your Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast. I'm Shelley Qualtieri, your host. This podcast was created for you, the woman who wants more in her life, for her family, and in her relationships. We're going to spend time creating inspiration and motivation while providing you with tangible, practical strategies and tools for your life to find greater happiness, love, and fulfillment. I will provide you with real-life takeaways that have you not only thinking about, but taking action to create your fiercely fabulous life. Now let's get started. Today is a Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast you do not want to miss. We have guest Mr. Dave Hollis. So excited for you to hear the conversation between us today. Dave Hollis is a New York Times bestselling author, host of the popular Rise Together podcast, and keynote speaker and life and business coach on Growth Day. Dave has book, Get Out of Your Own Way, and new book coming out November 1st, Built Through Courage. Dave's history is phenomenal. It includes being CEO of a media startup, former president of sales for the film studio at Walt Disney Company, and talent manager across film, TV, and music, and he's worked in publicity, research, and technology in the entertainment sector. Dave is a father to four kids, which you often hear him saying feels like a thousand kids. He's a four-time foster parent, an avid runner, finishing his first Ironman, and he's a sports memorabilia enthusiast, not to mention the 1969 Ford Bronco that he drives. Make sure you check that out on his Insta account. Dave has sat on numerous foundations and committees and is a wealth of knowledge in the self-growth area. So take a moment, listen to our conversation, and let's get started with Dave. Okay. Well, everybody, welcome back to your Fiercely Fabulous Life podcast. I am super excited to introduce today's guest, Mr. Dave Hollis. As you heard in my intro, he has all of the things going on. He's come from the corporate world, transitioned to being an entrepreneur, and has written a couple of books. Uh, So we're going to talk about those today. Has four kids, which you often say feels like a thousand kids (laughs) and has a whole lot of other stuff going on but can you let everybody know in your own words who is Mr. Dave Hollis? Well Shelly thank you for having me I'm so happy to be here happy to meet your listeners in their ear I who is Dave Hollis well I am a child of God I'm a parent to four human beings I am an author a podcaster coach Uh, I'm a fitness enthusiast. I am someone who, uh, when asked to describe myself in three words, would use the words work in progress. I'm very much uh, a work in progress, a thing I may have earlier in my life thought of as an indictment in me not being whole or found. And now I see it as a badge of honor, a thing I will be for the rest of my life. Uh, And I am trying to do good in this world, show up well for the people that I love, but also for those that I've not yet met and hope that some of my light making its way to them might give them the permission to be light to other people. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that because I think today I'd love to talk to you about your journey over the last few years. Um, 
I am a counselor who supports people around the hard stuff, mm. anxiety, depression, suicide is one of like the real big areas that I work in. Um, and I know from following you on all your socials that you have had a journey. And so I'm looking forward to kind of digging into that. So where I'd love to start today is you have this tattoo on your arm, absolutely, that says a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Can you share a little bit about, you know, why you got that and sort of what was your journey in wanting to have that tattoo and propelling you forward? Yeah, I mean, it's in some ways become a mantra of sorts in what has been a lot of change in consecutive, almost two year cycles over the last six, seven years of my life in that I have come to understand this deep connection that exists between discomfort and growth. Mm. Or, or said another way that when we are living inside of our comfort zone or attached to what I might describe as a safe harbor, that we do so at the expense of becoming who we were meant to be, our reason for being here on this planet. And uh, the, the way that you can, in fact, lean into growth is by finding yourself away from what ends up feeling comfortable, normal, usual, outside of the harbor in the choppy waters where growth lives. And that is a thing that ends up happening either by change that you choose. You're in a situation that isn't provoking growth. You decide to make a different path a thing that is going to be your new story. And in that choice, you find yourself challenged in those choppy waters or that change chooses you. Something that you don't expect or see coming ends up happening inside of your life that puts you on a new path, that challenges your identity, that has you doing something different because the old way in a way anymore. And in both of those instances, whether it's change you're choosing or change that's chosen you, you have to cultivate the courage to embrace the choppiness of that water that exists outside of the harbor. And part of why I got the tattoo was as a reminder that I was built for the choppiness that exists, that in fact, I do want to grow and that I am interested in becoming uh, every single day a little bit closer to who I know I was put on this planet to be, but that I can't do that unless I believe in myself, have faith in a higher power who's put me here for this reason, and in some ways believe that I can handle the circumstances that will produce my best. And so if you're listening and you feel stuck, part of it may be that you are questioning if you yourself are as a ship that was built for those choppy waters, built for them. And I want to tell you, you're built for it in the same way that I am. Yeah. What was a little bit of that scenario or situation when you got that tattoo? Because you've had that for a few years now. Are you comfortable to share a little bit about like, what was that, like that moment? What was that quote that you were like, yep, I, this is me. What was that hard moment then? Because there's been a few over this last couple yeah. of years. <laughs> well, I had, I had built a pretty decent career inside of entertainment over the course of about 20 years worth of time. I worked at Fox, at a talent agency, grassroots marketing, taking talent on tours, and ultimately at the Walt Disney Company. And I, in that 20-year career, was very much driven to achieve and to be promoted and to create security for my family, and in some ways had been 
sold, programmed to believe that in hitting certain pay thresholds and in hitting certain status thresholds and, and being invited to the right table, then, then I would feel happy, then I would feel fulfilled, then I would feel seen or important or uh, significant or lovable and uh, great. And that some of the programming from my earliest years as a child, as an achiever who thought if I can achieve, then I will be loved. Um, it drove a fantastic career. Yay, career. But I also found myself, because of this combination of hard work and time and luck and people who had come alongside me and helped support me in my journey, achieving a whole bunch of the things that I had been promised would, in fact, be the secret to my happiness and my fulfillment. And when I got there, it didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to. There wasn't as much a return relative to the kind of work that was happening or the way that I may have been afforded access or, or provision or whatever else it might be. And so when I left the Walt Disney Company, I decided to leave my career for my calling. I was listening to this kind of voice of God, intuition, you knowing, whatever you call that thing inside of you that says, nope, you need to make a change. It may make sense just to you and not to anyone else, but this is the thing that you need to do. And in doing it, I can still remember the first Father's Day after I left the Walt Disney Company. I left on May 30th, Father's Day is two weeks later. It was the first Father's Day in eight years that I wasn't at work because as a part of my job, there was a conference every year that took place in Europe and a Pixar movie every year that was released on Father's Day. And I had as a part of my job talking to the press about how amazing these movies were as the head of sales for these last eight years. And here I was, two weeks removed from having left my career and my status and the reputation and everything that was associated with it. And I'm sitting on the floor of my living room. And as much as I am now experiencing Father's Day the way that you ought to, with your children on the floor of a carpeted living room with a bunch of chaos happening around you, I was disoriented in the moment because... I was outside of something that had previously been overwhelmingly comfortable. Mm -hmm. And among the gifts that I got on that first Father's Day after leaving Walt Disney Company was a mug that had this quote on the side of it. And as I was having this identity crisis on the floor where I should be celebrating the fact that finally I'm having Father's Day breakfast with my children in the same country, I was spinning a little bit with this recognition that I'd left this place that wasn't calling to ask how to do the job that I'd done for the previous seven, eight years. Like they were getting along just fine. The replaceability of you as a person once you leave what you've been in is something that stings the old ego. And as I'm in that like very, very earliest moments, there was this, this feeling of being unmoored. I had left that harbor and all the trappings of safety and security and predictability that was inside of it. And I found myself now floating in the very, very beginnings of entrepreneurship and not having yet acquired the sea legs to navigate that water as the captain in that ship. And the, the words on that cup just became something that I just kept kind of saying over and over that that ship is built for these waters. And I like that ship and built for the disorienting feeling that I am in right now, except that that truth is real and continue to move forward even as you experience seasickness or nausea or <laughs> lack of equilibrium in the midst of the rock and in this wave 
because that's part of why you're going to grow into who you left to become. And as much as it's hard, that was part of it. I just kept coming back to it and back to it. And I got it on the arm, uh, partially as a reminder to my kids that, man, I want them to believe that they are like the ship built for whatever exists outside of comfort or traditional norms or what society says good boys or good girls do. Like, follow your heart, listen to the calling of your creator, honor it every single day. And don't worry about whether or not it makes sense to other people. But more than that, I got it for myself because I needed a reminder in the mirror in the days when I started to doubt my own ability to handle the choppiness that I could. And so that was the origin. And as much as I'd love to say, like, I got the tattoo and immediately, boom, everything was awesome. Like, it took time. It takes time when you are in anything that's new to establish footing when there's unpredictability and unsteadiness and something that you've never experienced before. Yeah. I, when I work with people and talk to people, I talk so much about emotions because emotions really, they can be so powerful in a positive way or so overwhelming in a challenging way. Do you remember Dave, what it was like sitting on that carpet that day that you were with your kids in what those swirling push and pull the waves, you know, so to speak of the emotions were, because I think that it's also so important for people to understand, not that only doing hard things is bloody hard sometimes, <laughs> all the time, but I love how much you are vulnerable and open as a man talking about this because there's still so much stigma around this. Um, and there aren't very many men that, in my experience, in the helping profession are really as open and vulnerable as you have been on your journey about, yeah, it's hard. And yeah, you might see like the cool stuff that I do and that I've been, but there's emotion behind that and it's hard. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I, I was having a conversation with someone who had had me on their podcast 300 episodes earlier. Okay, so it was episode three versus 303. And she just remarked, like, my goodness, the human being that I'm talking to in real time relative to this human being who is here 300 episodes, two and a half years ago, like, man, I don't recognize I was like, what a compliment. Thank you very much. I appreciate that any anytime I get, I don't recognize you or that is just, it's amazing to see how much you've changed. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. And I say that because in my journey, in the way that I've continued to grow and evolve, I don't know that I yet had the resources to articulate feelings on the floor of that living room in 2018 in the way that more than three years later, I feel equipped to really articulate how I'm feeling because of the kind of work that was necessary to make a relationship with all of what I feel. So then, back then, as much as I'd been in therapy, it took change that chose me and the transition from being married to divorce, where I really was struggling through a sense of who am I now that I'm no longer who I was, that I went and sought out a therapist who specialized in self. And so I ended up getting into uh, internal family systems and just this conversation around me as self, as the observer of my emotions and the work that I've done in the last almost two years now worth of time has fundamentally changed the way 
that I, in an untethered Solian kind of way, feel like I am the observer of my emotions and I am welcoming them to a table where I'm investigating and first honoring that they're here. Hello, sadness. Hello, anger. Hello, anxiety. I've even named some of my emotions at this point. Anxiety's name is Clark. I am Superman. <laughs> He's Clark. Why are, you, why are you here, Clark? Um, but in honoring them, welcoming them into a conversation, then actually, as strange as it might sound, for someone who's unfamiliar with the way that this kind of therapy works, in just engaging in a dialogue to understand what role they believe to be playing in my life so that in them being seen, yep, I'm talking about my feelings, in my feelings being seen, in their being recognized for playing the role that they think that they're playing, I now have a trail of breadcrumbs to follow that might allow me to understand why they believe that they're here, where they may have come from, and what action they're hoping for me to take and having presented themselves in a way that's changed the way that I think about what I feel and why I feel what I feel. And I wish that I could, to the person who was sitting on the carpet of the room that is directly behind this monitor, have had the gift of what the last 18 months of this therapy with a human named David have meant for me in helping me think differently about my feelings because that 2018 version of me didn't know how to process it, didn't know how to handle it. In, in fact, like sometimes when feelings would present that I didn't like, I'd do everything I could to mute those feelings, drinking instead of running. I wouldn't spend time writing in a journal or sitting with a therapist as often because I didn't like some of the stuff that was coming up. My original feelings were, Everyone's watching what I'm doing, and I don't want to make a fool of myself for having left the president of distribution at the Walt Disney Company for something that I may, in fact, not get right at first, and that I hope will work out, but I have no real guarantee that it will. And uh, a little bit of, can I do this, right? Like a little bit of almost imposter syndrome, having had a lot of success inside of this entertainment sector. I started to question if my success was a byproduct of the environment that I found myself inside of rather than something that I uniquely brought to the table because I was surrounded by the greatest collection of intellectual property, filmmakers, leadership team in the history of time and success will mess with you as much as failure might in that I started to ask myself a lot of questions of like, what was this success and where might it have come from? And am I actually qualified and equipped to do the work that I'm here to do. And um, those were all the feelings that were happening in that very, very earliest moment. Some of them, by the way, super well-intended. Like they were bringing up things that I needed to unpack, dissect, spend time with. Uh, I, I wish I could say that at that very, very beginning period that I was good about creating space for and honoring those feelings. But um, fortunately, that wasn't the end of change. It certainly wasn't the end of hard times. And some of what ended up coming is as a byproduct to the hard times was some of the work and understanding all the feelings you feel when you go through them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always tell people when they come here and they sit in my office, your feelings are not good or bad. They're your neutral messengers. They are your guides to help you figure out what you need. Like, Clark, what do you need from me right now? And why are you here on my shoulder? <laughs> yeah. By the way, I mean, like, just as a, like, as a, for example, for someone who thinks this sounds a little like hooey, uh, one, I was <laughs> one of the people that questioned if this is hooey at the beginning, my therapist trying to explain this. I was like, this sounds crazy, brother, but I also am just desperate enough to believe in crazy. So keep talking. 
But when Clark uh, reveals himself, my anxiety shows up. My anxiety tends to show up because there is some part of my life that is just ambiguous enough. There isn't a plan around a part of my life that he believes that his role is to draw my focus to that part of my life where were I to tend to the ambiguity with a plan, he would feel seen, his job would be done, and he would leave. Goodbye, Clark, until another piece of ambiguity in my life were to have you know, represented itself to him and he felt like he had to show back up to draw my attention to it. And so there's something interesting that now comes in this relationship that I have with my anxiety where, oh man, don't tell me I'm actually getting grateful for Clark raising his hand and representing, hey, you haven't done enough work in creating plans in this part of my life, but I see it as that now because Clark doesn't know that he is a negative emotion. Clark actually thinks that he is doing something that is helpful, even if it produces something that I don't necessarily like at the outset. And I'm talking about situational anxiety. If you have clinically diagnosed anxiety, different thing, different conversation, but just like the situational stuff that comes up, that's my guy, Clark. He's a son of a gun who I've just over time built a wildly different relationship with and the one that originally had me resenting the fact that he existed. Yeah. And I think, you know, from reading your book, um, your first one, Get Out of Your Own Way, and then being part of um, your Facebook group uh, in Built Through Courage, um, I hear a really different tone, even in, you know, how you're navigating that and what that piece looks like for you. Question um, of curiosity for you. Do you think that Dave of three years ago, sitting on the carpet, where you weren't as in touch with those, you know, those emotions and the transitions that you now have gone through and will continue to go through as we as humans always want to, was part of family and how you were raised, society, being a man and having some of that stigma around it. Um, because I think that that is still a piece that is really tricky for people. And, you know, I don't want to put all men in this, this box, but it's much harder for men, you know, to come kind of as vulnerable as you've been around that piece of it. Where do you think that grew from for you? Um, I mean, the answer is yes. All of those things that you just described are complicit in why it's hard to manufacture, cultivate the courage to own your stuff. Uh, and, you know, as much as there are some cultural things specific to men and masculinity, there are as many things about what it means to be a woman, whether it's a, a good girl or someone who can have both career and family or you know the ridiculous questions that women get asked that men never get asked about balance. Like there are things that are just driven out of societal norms and whatever else it might be. And so what's interesting is I was coming out of a corporate environment where for 20 years, I went from an assistant to president Inside of a big part of the responsibility I, I had, I was a manager of stakeholders. I was making sure that the highest level executives, that the filmmakers, the heads of these studios, the talents, the partners that we had at exhibition, the movie theater companies, and the press were all being managed. And in that, I was able to leverage one of my superpowers, which is also one of my greatest liabilities, which is I can tell a story. I mean, like I am able to walk into a room read a room and know exactly what the room needs to hear. And I can shapeshift into what that room needs in a way that produces the intended outcome of the meeting 
in a way that satisfies the ego needs of this character or the emotional needs of that character in being the person that would talk on the phone with the press every Sunday for eight years as this spokesperson for the Walt Disney Company. If the film did good, it was easy work. But when the film didn't do good, my job was to convince everyone who was going to write stories about it from all these press outlets that it did just exactly what we were hoping. We're so proud. We're excited to see it open up overseas or we're excited about the critical response or whatever it was to deflect from the reality that, hey, this didn't make as much money as we would have liked. And so I leave that environment where I'd been a stakeholder, a shapeshifter, a press spokesperson, and now am walking into personal development where I myself had a lot of developing to do and could be somewhat of a storyteller that didn't serve me actually connecting to the people who were struggling the way I was struggling and didn't afford me the opportunity for help because of the way I was telling stories to deflect what I was really needing. Mm. So I had to make a decision and it was a hard decision because of so much muscle memory around storytelling that I am going to have to own my stuff if I want to actually have impact inside of the space. I left this biggest media company in the world to create a very, very small media company with an ambition for impact. My like the missing ingredient, as much as movies that Marvel, Pixar, Lucas, and Disney were making are amazing, I didn't feel like I was having personal impact with the gifts that I was uniquely given in that role and wanted that so that I could step closer to purpose. Well, as I got into the job, it became apparent very quickly that the only way that I would actually be able to unlock purpose was by adopting a new methodology around storytelling. And that was radical transparency and a comfort in transforming my shame into my strength where if I could tell stories around what I had not gotten right in a way that represented the progress I'm making to do better, it took the thing that might've been the source of shame and transformed it into something that was now a point of pride. It still doesn't make it easy sometimes to share the stuff that you don't get right, even, even in this next book. I still am storytelling in some instances of times when I'm still getting in my own way. Even though I wrote the book about not getting my own way, <laughs> I am human and I keep putting myself into these new situations where I have not previously stepped a, a part of the forest I haven't walked through before. So of course, I'm gonna be making mistakes as I go, but part of how I'm gonna become who I wanna be is to keep making mistakes and learning from them, applying those learnings to whatever I end up doing next. Yeah, if we don't make mistakes, we can't grow. Yeah. We just, we have to make errors. Otherwise we never know where we need to shift or, or change. You talk a lot about um, fixed mindset and growth mindsets. Yeah. Would you have called yourself a fixed mindset person a few years ago um, and now are much more into that growth mindset? Absolutely. I mean, I am, I would, I call myself still a recovering fixed mindset person. Okay. And, and there's interesting privilege almost in the way that I was able to, because of some just natural born talent, lean on some of what just existed from the word go that allowed me to make choices to stay away from things that I didn't think I could do well at first or lean on or depend on. Uh, kind of figuring it out on the fly because I'm quick-witted or I'm a smart guy or have, I'm articulate or whatever it might end up being. 
But it wasn't necessarily because of some of those natural talents, a thing that was tapping into failure, like true failure, because I wasn't really putting myself into places where I could truly fail. And when I decide, hey, I'm going to get into entrepreneurship, truly, I did it because I had this revelation near the end of my time at the Walt Disney Company that was afforded by a question asked of my middle son in a hot tub where we had this tradition of ask dad anything. And he asked this very innocuous question, what are you most afraid of? Out of my mouth, though he's looking for tarantulas or scorpions, falls the words that I was afraid of not living up to my potential. And in real time, this thing that I knew but hadn't spoken out loud now existed in a way that couldn't be unseen, right? Like I'd seen it, I couldn't unsee it. And I realized that I was living into my greatest fear. And so now this decision to make this leap is a byproduct of and and catalyzed by wanting to not live into my greatest fear, not depend on my natural talents, not continue to sit inside of a job where because of the strength of the team, I was getting straight A grades without having to study, but instead push myself into a posture where growth might be a possibility. And in making that leap, the recognition that I was still operating with so many fixed mindset things was the invitation to release those things or change those things into what it takes to embrace growth, a growth mindset. And so reframing how I thought about failure or criticism or trying new things or all of the things that come with a growth mindset, that was now the mandate because I knew I was unfulfilled and stuck in the former And so if I'm looking for something in the latter, the thing that comes up next, I knew I had to embrace growth and that that mindset was the the ticket to get me there. Yeah. So you transitioned from Disney to your, from your corporate job into small marketing, Hollis company. And now you're, you know, you're doing books and you're doing all the things you have a, a, you know, a public divorce that's really challenging and for kiddos over this last, you know, 18 months, two years, amongst living in COVID, (laughs) all the things, right? And so, you know, you also shared a lot, you know, with us on social media, your beautiful porch, listening to, was it Ben Rector? Ben Rector, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Listening to him and kind of talking through your emotions a little bit in that and all this transition. But then you also have your running where you're talking about lacing up your shoes and you've done lots of podcasts from uh, not podcasts sorry uh instas from the rock your your you know sacred rock i would be there's dave again getting on his shoes and he's at the rock today yeah (laughs) how did that help you in processing this journey because it wasn't just like honestly dave one thing that happened you know leaving a job it was like you guys had moved not long before that either right? So you're in a new place, you've got new people surrounding you, you've got a new job, you've got four kids, you've got now divorce, you've got. So how did that Ben Rector and that, you know, lovely evening patio and that rock lacing up those shoes help you in your journey? Yeah. So I'll start with this. I mean, I, at the end of 2019, had this uh, bold proclamation that 2020 was going to be my best year ever. And it may have, in fact, brought on all the things that we collectively had to experience. So I apologize if I tempt fate in the universe by declaring that out loud. But what I didn't appreciate was that the way my best year ever might come together 
was through conditions that were beyond my control, that I, I didn't have a say in how my best year would show up. And as much as I have zero appetite in reliving 2020, like most of us, and I wish that I hadn't had to experience the pain and grief and loss and the death of very many uh, parts of what normal was for me, I know that I ended up also having the best year of my life in 2020, not in spite of those things, but because of them. And so I now have a keen appreciation of me becoming this person I am today, this unrecognizable to who I used to be, this set up for the legacy for the rest of my life kind of person who is in the best health of my life and feels better about myself when I'm by myself than I have in forever. That that was only made available because of not in spite of the things that I got to go through. So I have gratitude bizarrely for that hard, hard season of life. But when I was at the very beginnings of all of these things, they were so disorienting. I had a vision for the future that had me married forever, working together forever. And when that now was not a thing that was going to happen, my imagination was one of the first casualties in the transition of our marriage. And that I had a really hard time casting a vision for what next looked like since it was now different than what I had previously believed it to be. And so in order to get my imagination back, I had to create a relationship with my fear. Hello, fear. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you actually, you know, representing for me? But also I had to deconstruct it in a way that allowed me to, to parse, like, is this real or is this not of the things that aren't? Can I be free from them of the things that are? I can't make them go away, but might I equip myself with something and tools, resources, courage to face them head on so that I can move through them to learning and growth. And for me, the, the way to cultivate the courage was something that happened in spaces that were separate from the noise, just like the noise of the world that we live inside of. I had certainly, uh, you know, the comparison game that happens on social media, the incessant market messaging, marketing messages that we're being inundated with telling us what we lack or need in order to feel whole or good. The news certainly didn't make things better in 2020, but that as a business model has fear running the show. If they can make you just scared enough to tune in tomorrow, then they get to sell big advertising dollars. And where I was free from comparison or marketing or fear-based news was when I put my shoes on and ran, when I was sitting on that rock connecting to God. And in those spaces where I was manufacturing peace, the intention to turn down the volume allowed me to hear some of the thing that was existing inside of my gut, that whether you call it voice of God, your knowing, your intuition, but like that voice already knew where I was headed in a way that my imagination couldn't necessarily tell me. And it was on those long runs, whether it was listening to music or a sermon or nothing at all, just <laughs> running to the beat of my feet. Um, and I ran a lot, trust me, like running for me was this very cathartic combo platter of therapy and church, but it also was a positive coping mechanism that uh, was an alternative and a positive way to what would have otherwise been grabbing a ton of drinks to not have to think about the things that I was feeling. I wanted to think about it and feel all of them in, a, in an attempt to kind of process it in as positive a way as possible. So I ran like 200 miles a month for the first handful of months out of divorce. That was a lot of running, but it was on the roads where I was able to turn the volume down, hear my intuition, connect to my creator 
and get clarity on where I was going in a world where my imagination was compromised. Yeah, and um, there's such a link between our overall mental health and our mental wellness and that physical health and physical wellness. And I know you've really been on not only um, a self-discovery journey, but a mental health, mental wellness journey, but also a physical health, physical wellness journey, along with all of that um, coaching and self-help and, you know, all of those, those bits and pieces. How have you found, was it just triathlon that you did or Ironman? Um, yeah, triathlon, yeah. Yes, congratulations on doing it because it is hard. And I know <laughs> I know the story behind it, but I'm so proud. I didn't do it that well, but I did it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, got, I got to go back and do it again, but it was, ooh, it was hard. But you know what? If we don't have those stumblings, how do we know how to train? How do we Get learn? in the yeah. open water, Dave. Get in the open water. <laughs> exactly right. So how did you find, you know, talk a little bit about some of those negative coping mechanisms that you had in the past, right? You've been really open about drinking and kind of using that as your tool, but how is your mental health and physical health wellness when you were using that as your tool versus where you are today with, you know, change your body, change your mind. That's a mantra that I, you know, when I'm lying in my bed and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go yeah. boxing today, change, you know, get up and do it. If you're looking for a sign, this is your sign. <laughs> How have those, you know, more toxic, hard coping mechanisms changed mental and physical wellness for you? Like what has that experience yeah. been like? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the thing that I've learned more than anything when it comes to coping mechanisms, especially any that mute, because I was a person, if you uh, hear this and it resonates with you, you're not alone, that was not interested necessarily in having a relationship with his feelings. I didn't like the way that my voice and head or feelings felt like uh, they were overwhelming or uh, were maybe indicting me for not being good or enough or whatever it ended up being. And so I didn't wanna hear those things. I thought that uh, grabbing a few drinks to just reduce the noise on them or mute them altogether was a good idea. And I come to find out that uh, alcohol or any negative coping mechanism, anything that's designed to mute or distract is not a local anesthetic. You can't apply it exclusively to the negative thing without also eliminating the possibility for the positive thing. And so if you wanna reduce anxiety you have to know that if it's going to be through drinking or sex or food or anything that is a negative coping mechanism that you will in indulging in that negative thing also eliminate the possibility for joy or growth or learning or any of the things that are meant to be the positive byproducts of the breaking down of that muscle of the struggle that you're inside of and so uh, once i had that recognition oh this isn't a great long-term strategy also, I actually jumped into this so that I could be challenged in a way that would have me growing because of my desire for fulfillment. And I am singularly sabotaging the possibility of the thing I've declared I am here for. By doing this, don't be an idiot, Dave. Uh, I had to make a set of better choices. And so for me, focusing on my health and not even just specifically my physical health, but my holistic health uh, was a huge broad choice that has been uh, one of the biggest reasons why I feel as good as I do this close to one of the hardest things I've ever been through. The thing I had to ask at the beginning of my journey was a question that could take that compromised imagination and still create something for me to move forward toward, 
even if it wasn't a vision now of who I'd hope to be five years from now or who I saw myself as 10 years from now, because I was very much that person who previously could cast that vision. And now that I was handed this blank piece of paper, it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing, Dave. It's not going to work out the way you thought. You get the exhilarating and terrifying bit of work of now writing on this piece of paper, whatever you want. And at the beginning, it's wildly more terrifying than it is exhilarating. And so instead of having like a five years from now vision, I had to ask this very simple question, what Dave do you need in this season to help you get closer to who you know you are on this planet for or who you'd hope to become 90 days from now, right? Yeah. So instead of five years, I'm talking like season 90 days. And, and important for me was, I wanted to honor the very specific set of circumstances that I found myself in, in the middle of asking the question, because the answer to what do you need, I was being answered against what do you need in your physical, your mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational health. And if I could identify what I needed for each of those things for the next 90 days, two to three things for each of those five, now I had the roadmap for what my daily routine need to look like, the habits I'd have to adopt, the people I'd have to surround myself with, the way my calendar needs to look, who I need to create some boundaries from, the, like mm. all of it, right? And in doing that inventory on an every 30 day basis, because the circumstances that I found myself in 30 days in the future were now different than those that I was in when I set the previous ones, I got to adjust my goals. I got to change some of what was a priority on my calendar. I got to think differently about what was most important and what was secondarily most important and so on. And so for me, that was a great way of creating something of a bridge while my imagination was rehabbing, as it were, like getting itself out of the fear, casting that vision of something that went from terrifying to exhilarating in me, redefining what next looked like now that it was different. Yeah. And in all of this, you also have four children. What? Oh, yeah, I do. I'm kidding. Yeah, four I'm... children, you know, a thousand, you know, <laughs> the ones that are back there making the noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're on this journey, but you're also this dad who is embracing all of this, this newness. And I love tea time with Noah. Oh, my gosh. So cute. But I also love Ford for thought, you know, and how has this journey, a couple of questions, helped you engage differently with your kids, but helped them embrace their emotions of all of this newness too? Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, there's a, there's a, a balance that has to be struck in giving them carte blanche full view of me setting a Cal Ripken-esque crying streak, right? Like I am interested in modeling how normal and okay it is to feel sad and also don't want them to have to carry the weight of the experience that I am processing in a way that adds to their experience negatively. So I was, I was, I think, thoughtful about exposing and normalizing feelings being okay and sadness being okay and grief being a thing that is a nonlinear journey that all of us collectively were on and also if I was having a super hard day, closing and locking the door <laughs> so that I could protect just a little bit in a way that didn't have them having to carry that weight. Um, but the beauty of experiencing this relationship I had with my therapist and how I was reframing the way that I was making peace with the things I was feeling 
was an entree to invite them to create a similar kind of relationship with their own emotions. And so I found myself sharing with them a little bit of what I was learning about myself in a way that said, hey, this is number one again, it's normal if you're feeling these things, normal, super normal, you wanna cry? Cry it out, I've been crying. See these eyes, they've cried tears. Tears are rad, they are releasing a whole host of things that need to get out. You can cry too, but also in talking about Clark <laughs> or whatever it ended up being, um, I was like, in, in a crazy way, like it's harder for me to talk to adults about the idea of me as self and these emotions as parts than it is kids. Cause they just refer to it as like, oh, it's like inside out. I'm like, yep, it's just like inside out. What, what are you feeling? Can you have a conversation with sadness and ask it what it plays a role for and wh why it thinks it's here. Um, like journaling for me was a big part of how some of what was living in my subconscious would come to the surface just by letting the pen run for you know a longer period of time. And so sharing with my kids how powerful that journaling process has been, has had each of the older three embracing journaling as a thing that they now do when they're feeling what they're feeling, creativity and art, right? Like getting to talk to the kids about how writing a book was a super cathartic thing. Not that I dive into really super specific details of divorce, but I process the emotion of how it feels to go through this kind of transition. And it was a gift, like the deadline for the book was a massive gift because of the way it allowed me to process what I was feeling in my work, in my art. So whether it's creativity or painting or whatever, like if you're feeling something in this house, you better get, you better get some tool to share <laughs> how you're feeling out on a piece of paper, however that ends up looking. And so um, I feel like if there's a thing to feel pride for in a you know, situation that you hope no one ever has to go through, I do think that like normalizing how we work through struggle and that emotions are okay and that this is a collective experience that is more a reflection of humanity than it is anything else, hopefully sets them up for how they will handle what ends up happening next. I wish I could just say like, oh, the quota for pain and hard times is full, we've been through enough, so like boxes are checked, thanks very much, but I know this is a question of when we're gonna go through something hard again, not if. And I'm hoping that in some ways this experience has set us up to prepare, like to be more prepared for how we're going to work through it when that uh, next hard thing ends up revealing itself. I love as well that, you know, you talk about all the emotions that the kids are doing, the journaling, they're sharing their things. But on the flip side of it with Tea Time with Noah, I see that as you doing such an amazing empowerment piece with, you know, your little human, but it also does, you know, impact other people, you know, myself when we're watching like, oh, that's a man who's totally in for empowering women, even when they're two and three years old. How does empowerment show up in your house? I mean, you have three boys and then you have, you know, little Noah tea time. Yeah. And so what is empowerment like in your house? Well, I mean, number one, I think empowerment shows up most in encouraging my kids to be who they truly are without feeling like they have to be something that fits into a mold necessarily or that checks uh, any kind of box I might have. Like the, the, the best way I think I can love them is to see them as who they each individually are, show up well 
in a way that meets them where, they're, where they are and celebrates them in their individuality and encourages them to continue to trust themselves and be confident in themselves. I mean, the conceit behind Tea Time with Noah truly was, is there the possibility of me taking some of these concepts that I teach to grown up human beings and instill them as capital T truths in this small human so that she might have those truths take root before the world tries to teach her its lies. And then <laughs> it requires a book of mine or someone else's to unlearn those lies, right? Like we're all the byproduct of our programming. And so in, uh, in a crazy way, I'm trying to counter program the narrative of the world, trying to convince her that as a woman or as you know a human, she needs to think about playing it safe or staying in her lane or deferring to this man's opinion or whatever it ends up being so that she just grows up believing, oh, these are the truths of the world. I now believe them and am empowered, as you say, to have agency over my life and do um, what I believe and not what I'm told good girls necessarily do in this world. Yeah. So what advice would you give to the Dave of three years ago? Well, this one's a tricky, that's a tricky question because uh, like Michael J. Fox going back in time, uh, if yeah. <laughs> I were to give any advice, I don't know that I end up where I'm at. And as much as, again, there are certain things that happened in the last three years that I wish hadn't have happened. And I, um, you know, man, don't want to ever experience grief or pain on any level. I'm the byproduct of those things having happened. So if, if I were to have gone back I think the only thing that I might say is buckle up and keep going. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that I would say anything to change necessarily the way things have unfolded because I'm the beneficiary, beneficiary now of seeing the ending. And as, of course, like this is the very, very beginning of the rest of my life and a legacy that I will be remembered by has not even yet had those things take place. You know, I, I think about how I hope people will talk about me or eulogize me at my memorial service one day. And I, you know, I hope that the fact that I worked at Disney for 17 years isn't even a thing that gets brought up because of how prolific an impact I hope to have with everything that happens for the rest of my life. All of the things that are gonna happen in some ways were born out of this best and hardest year that I've just been through. And if I go back three years and I undermine getting to my best and hardest year because I do something that changes that path, um, I kick myself because I feel grateful now to be sitting where I am sitting, having gone through what I've gone through. What about the Dave in future? Anything that he's looking forward to or that you would be like, this is our aim, buddy? <laughs> well, I mean, like I am very much living in a season of saying yes. And I hope that that Dave is a reflection of a string of yeses to things that the Dave of yesteryear, three years ago, 10 years ago, would have never ever even conceived of. So just keeping, keeping yes as the present answer for things that make me feel uncomfortable. I mean, like what's interesting is in a lot of ways, the work that I've done in creating this relationship with fear has actually changed a little bit of how I think about fear, not as something to avoid, but as an invitation to move toward. And 
more often than not in a season of saying yes to, frankly, almost every single thing that has been, been presented, my yeses are usually to things that I originally fear. Like, oh, I'm gonna make a, like, can I make a fool of myself doing this? Am I qualified to do this? Am I gonna be good enough at first to do this? Might I fail at doing this? And when I have those fears, I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. This is the thing you gotta go do because if you weren't afraid of it, it wouldn't make you grow. And now you're gonna go put your toe in this water and you're gonna see how you may have some passion that you didn't realize you had, that you have some competencies that you can acquire that you might be able to impact people because of the way that you storytell through this new experience, like all of those things. It's just an invitation to move toward it. And that has been a blessing in a totally and completely unexpected way. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your new book coming out November 1st, is that right? It is coming October 26th, okay. but it'll be available November 1st. I mean, you can buy it anytime, really. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting. I've been waiting come on mine. I'm like, come on, Alexa, when is my package arriving? Come November on, let's 1st. go. <laughs> uh, so it's called Built Through Courage. And the conceit of the book is just this idea that all of us, every one of us, you, me, every listener, was built with very unique and specific design in mind by a creator that knew what they were doing and that we are the byproduct of very specific wiring and experiences and the way that we feel and think that is different than every other human on this planet. And that our job on earth is to take steps every day to honor the intention of our creator, right? What would it mean to actually step closer to purpose? What would it mean to believe that you were put here for a reason? What would it mean to have that confidence to keep doing the work of leaving things that you've become comfortable with for the calling of your life. And courage ends up being the necessary ingredient to pursue that calling because in many ways, it's uncomfortable for us to leave what we've known for what we need. Yeah, you need to step toward honoring this intention. You need to unlock this purpose. That is where in fact, you will feel fulfilled in, and uh, like being seen as your true full self. But also it takes courage to depart in some ways from who other people have become comfortable knowing you as. So you have a lot of existing relationships. Those people to a person have come to know you as a certain thing. And the way that you in deviating from how you've historically been will likely ruffle some of their feathers. And it takes courage as people pleasers to ruffle feathers. And so you have to decide that honoring your creator's intention or living into purpose, feeling fulfilled, having impact for others is more important than keeping other people happy or is more important than your desire for comfort because you can't have comfort and growth exist at the same time. It's just an impossibility. So you got to choose to grow, which is going to be a little uncomfortable and require a bit of courage. Yes, absolutely. It's like getting out there on the roads and aching the next day when you've done that big run. <laughs> yep. Like awkward. So one more, one more thing that you're doing right now is the fitness challenge you and Miss Heidi have going on. Tell us a little bit about that because it doesn't start till next week. It's next week. It starts on Monday. So on the 27th day of September, we are starting a 60 day fitness challenge where there are daily workouts. We've recorded videos with introductions to every single day of the challenge. Each day comes with a workout where each of the moves has a video that shows you how to do said workout. There's a rad community page where people are encouraging each other. And 
The idea was, hey, could we commit as a community to doing something that for 60 days, it, it runs right up to the week before Thanksgiving in the US. And so as a get fit for the holidays kind of thing, we are going to try and create some momentum into this back part of the year that would allow us to, in stepping into Thanksgiving and Christmas, be this healthiest, hopefully happiest, but also feeling best about ourselves for having created some uh, challenge and a promise and keeping that promise to ourselves. So uh, I'm super, super excited about it. If you are interested, there's a link in my bio. I'd, be, I'd love for you to just take a look and see if it ends up being for you. Yeah. And I'll make sure in the show notes that uh, your book link and the group link, if anybody wants to join the Facebook link Come on. podcast, you know, rise together podcast. Uh, I'll link all of those things to find you. So a couple questions on sort of fun, fun ones right now. And then okay. we're going to tell people how to find you, where to find you beach or snow. Ooh, for vacation, most of the time beach, but if I get a chance to ski one day, I'm going to take a ski day in there too. I'd like to go to the beach for four days and ski one. Okay. Chocolate or chips? Uh, chips. Chips. Favorite kind? Depends on what I'm pairing it with. It's so hard to say that there's just a single favorite kind. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I'm eating like a, a, a Jersey Mike sub, I'm yeah. going to go with cool ranch doritos but if I, i'm uh having uh like chili or something like that i gotta have like fritos it just it just really depends okay coffee or tea coffee i mean i like tea i just don't drink it as often as i'd like and i have coffee every stinking day yeah awesome so where can we find you mr dave hollis uh you can find me on the instagram a lot of times mr dave hollis is in fact my handle uh hang out there quite a bit if uh, you are interested in pre-ordering Built Through Courage, I know you're part of this community and I appreciate you saying something about it, but uh, in real time, if you pre-order, you can go to mrdavehollis.com forward slash book and you can immediately be jumped into a really amazing community that we've created of like-minded people who are reaching for a better version of themselves and you get access to a course on finding your purpose, a course on resilience and mindset, and access to 13 full weeks of coaching with me uh, and community, which I, I think I've said already, but it's arguably the best part of the whole deal. You spend 15 or 20 of your hard-earned bucks. I'm trying to give you about $500 worth of value, and I think it is there. It is. It's amazing. I've been checking it out regularly, and there is a lot of comments, and there's over 6,000 people in that group now, which is amazing. Is yeah. Oh, right amazing it's amazing so thank you so much for spending some time here with me i really appreciate it oh shelly thank you for having me i hope to come back someday have yourself a fantastic rest of your day thanks you too thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to your fiercely fabulous life podcast please be sure to share with any woman in your life that needs more. Have a great day and see you soon.